0: show. I'm of course your host Rob Burgess. On this our 144th episode our returning guest is Leon Nafok. You first heard Leon on episode 101 and episode 121 of the podcast. Leon Nafok is the co-creator of the Fiasco podcast and the president of Prologue Projects, a small podcast studio in Brooklyn. Previously he hosted and co-produced Slow Burn at Slate. Nafok started his career in print journalism, writing for the New York Observer, the Boston Globe, and Slate. He is the author of The Next Next Level, a story of rap, friendship, and almost giving up. And now on to the show. Yeah, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Uh, And uh, congratulations. I really enjoyed the last two two, two, uh, interviews you did. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was fun. Um, But uh, congratulations on Fiasco. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. I appreciate that yeah it's uh it's just as engrossing as any of your you know previous uh, seasons of slow burn and uh you've you've really picked uh, some rich territory uh to which to explore i think so well, thank you. i appreciate that um yeah it's definitely
1: uh it's definitely uh an, an, a, a very different uh story uh than the than the first two things i did uh that andrew and i did it's like it's uh it's a different, well, well, we'll talk about it, but it's, it's it, is, it, it feels like a different uh, material from which to make something. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, yeah, I uh, I wasn't done listening to Slow Burn when we talked last, because it wasn't out yet, but now I have heard it all, um, and uh, it was very good as well, but uh, what is what if anything is happening with Slow Burn now, because that is, that is not something you're doing anymore. <laughs>
1: Uh, That's right, Uh, so Slate is continuing on with Slow Burn, Um, they're making a new season uh, with a new host, Um, and uh, it was announced recently that they're doing uh, the murders of Biggie and Tupac. Oh,
0: oh, wow, okay, interesting. Now you're on to your own company now, which is called Prologue Projects, right? Yeah. Uh, Well, so it's sort of like, it happened like uh,
1: somewhat simultaneously with the luminary stuff. Um, basically when I was at slate, uh, and slow burn was sort of taking off, we started getting interest from, uh, like TV people, uh, about the rights to slow burn. And so, and I didn't really know how to deal with it. So I, I asked around, you know, asked my friends, like if they knew anyone who could help me with it. Um, and I ended up hiring a manager. Um, sort of helped me negotiate that whole situation um and then um my manager uh sort of kind of guided me towards uh you know this idea of starting my own um operation you know where, where where i would own you know the work that i was making and um you know i could be sort of more like in control of my destiny which is the word that he and other hollywood people love to use you want to be in control of your own destiny um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so you know the luminary thing came along and it was just an opportunity to basically like create you know a show at a level of, of of quality that um that i wanted to make um with a with a level of staffing and resources that that i thought it needed um and it gave me the opportunity to you know start start a Small studio that for now is just you know we we, we we mostly work on Fiasco and we we also produce the Trevor Noah show for, for Luminary, um, but in the future you know hopefully we'll be doing uh, we'll be doing other other shows as well that are more in the narrative mold.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there, and you know you definitely shown that you can do the work, so I don't think that's a problem at all. Um, and you know, your, your, uh, your work speaks for itself because I, I think that like there's, there's gotta be so much leftover material that you can't use from anything you're researching like this. There's just, there's just so much on the cutting floor and, uh, you know, it, uh, I know at Slate, you had the extra bonus Slate Plus episodes and I noticed you, I haven't listened to this one yet, but you did also just have an extra interview that you just dropped on this one as well. Yeah.
1: We um, sort of put out like a, a little inter- interlude in between mm-hmm first half and second half of the season
0: right well why do you uh one thing i wanted to ask about your structure is why do you limit yourself to a certain number of episodes Um, is that like for reasons of cost or scale or i mean i know it's got to be hard to produce that much good content but like there's got to be more to say than that like i just feel like there's even with everything you said and i i really enjoy it it's like i feel like this could be twice as long and i would be just as interested you know
1: (laughs) so i mean there's there's a couple things that go into that um you know, one, one, one sort of, I guess, thing to say up top is that, you know, we, we really plot these things out in advance. Um, sure. So, like, even though we're we're currently still working on the final two episodes that haven't been, you know, we still have three episodes to release. Uh, we're still working on five and six. Um, we're almost done, but we're still working on them. You know, part of the, um, you know, part, part of the reason that's possible is that we, 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 we we've known what's going to be in those episodes, you know, since the beginning. Um, you know, our first sort of phase of working on a season is like figuring out what the structure of it's going to be. Like, what are we going to talk about in each of these episodes? That's true. And and you know, all the all the reporting we do during the first like couple months of the process um, is geared towards like figuring out who who we need to talk to um, for for individual episodes. Um, and so I mean, that's just that's like a reason to 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 set an a number. You know, it's not a, that doesn't determine what number it is, whether it's six mm-hmm. or eight or twelve. Um, you know, I'll be honest. Like with with Watergate, we totally just picked eight kind of at random. I think um, I'm not really sure. I did the outline before I picked eight. I think we picked eight and then I did the outline. Um, and then with Clinton, I think we just thought eh, eight seemed like the right amount of material. And, so and, and 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 then season two turned out to be a lot longer than season one, just in terms of like runtime. Like the episodes were longer. Um, mm-hmm. And so for this one, we decided to do six, um, in part because we felt like. You know it's 36 days you know how much can there be to say um which is a very naive uh naive thought um and we, we found is you know doing six episodes like each episode is like almost an hour um which you know we, which is not something like we take pride in like i think brevity is is, is preferable uh, i wish they were shorter but um it's just a lot of plot to uh to cover it turns out and so mm-hmm. you know is it possible that like doing eight episodes that would have been shorter, uh, would have been better than six. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I think you sort of got to just set your set your marks at the top and, and sort of hope for the best. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard at the level of our, um, at the level of, like, sort of precision with which we're trying to, like, plot out these episodes. Um, it's hard to sort of call an audible, like, halfway through, you know, and say, actually, we, you know, we want to do more episodes, you know?
0: True. But, I mean, you also get uh, guests maybe that you didn't think you'd get, I'm sure. And, you know, you get, you talked to not to spoil anything, but you'd have talked to Catherine Harris, which was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, how was that to interview someone that was so, uh, you know, caricatured, I guess, like you played the Saturday night live Mm -hmm. and John Stewart and David Letterman making fun of her appearance and, uh, Yeah. Like she's a pretty reviled character. I mean, obviously that's happened to you before in interviewing, but like like you don't know necessarily or do you know that you're gonna get Katherine Harris at the beginning and because it seems like sometimes you get things at the last minute, maybe. <laughs>
1: um, you know, I'll say this, like with, with with this season, because so much of it uh took place in Florida, we knew that we were gonna try to talk to a lot of people in Florida. And so mm-hmm. for a while we like we were like, All right, we know we're going to Florida for, you know, probably like two weeks or ten days mm-hmm. or something. And we don't know exactly when, but, like, let's start putting out dealers, people we know we want to talk to. Let's, like, see when they're available. Let's see if we can, like, triangulate all these different people. And what we ended up doing was, you know, we had a whiteboard up on our, uh, our wall. And, you know, once we, like, kind of landed on the dates that we were going to go, me and Andrew, uh, my, you know, our, our uh, executive producer, um, we went down there together to do all these interviews. And so we, I think, I can't remember how many we scheduled while, while we were down there, but I think it was, like, 30 like mm. thirty-five or something. It was really fucking yeah. back to back. Just like you know, we just didn't wow. stop the time we were there. Um, and so Catherine Harris, just like we got lucky, like she was available during the time we were there. And you know, I remember we were originally plotting the you know the trip. Um, we were just like, talking about you know because there's all these different places you can go, right? You can go to you can go to Miami, you can go to Palm Beach, you can go to Fort Lauderdale. Um, you know. And so we, we weren't really sure like we were going to go to Sarasota, but then um, when she came through and said, you know, yeah, I can I can do the interview, but you know, you got to come to me. We just like adjusted our our plans and made sure that we were, we could be where she could talk to us.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that was a really interesting interview because she actually called you out on the name of your show. Yeah, that was her. Yeah. That was... <laughs> she she doesn't even uh, go with the conceit that it was a fiasco
1: that's right um yeah, it's funny with the name of the show like I, I really like the name of the show i think it's like really catchy and memorable um uh, madeline kaplan our, our producer who came up with it um but it, i didn't think about how like i until i literally sat down at my desk like on my first day to like send my first like couple emails you know asking for people for interviews about the election mm-hmm. i didn't think about it until that moment that um Shit, like, I'll be emailing all these people and saying, Hey, I want to talk to you about this thing you were involved in. And by the way, my show is called Fiasco. <laughs> I just like, didn't think about it. I just didn't think about it. And it's too bad because actually, I don't think that we will want to cover in the future is going to be like easily characterized as a fiasco. You know, like, there's ideas you yeah. have like for seasons that I'm like, uh, Well, you know, if I were them, I, I wouldn't want to deep and we want to like participate in a in a show that was called that um and so I'm, I'm i'm wondering you know i i hope that like i hope that like the way this season um i hope the way when people hear this you know when people if people who like are considering going on our show in the future i hope that if they hear this season they'll be able to tell that like what we do is very even-handed and um
0: totally what totally
1: what we're trying to do is like not blame anyone you know in particular but just kind of just like explain where everybody's coming from uh and why they did the things they did um which is not to say that absolutely
0: well you know yeah well as a a listener i i definitely get that sense and and i even sometimes i'm like you're being like too fair to this person that doesn't even deserve it like i think you're almost like too much that way sometimes so if anything that's a compliment you know what (laughs) i mean because it's like you're not (laughs) you're not taking it the other direction but like you know, there are certain people that I'm like, oh come on, this person is ridiculous. Like you, you can't give this much leeway. But like, you're you're relentlessly fair in that way because I have strong feelings about some of the people that you interview. So did you, did you think that about the Catherine Harris interview? What about it? Did you think that about the Catherine Harris interview? Um, I still don't think that she was right for everything she did. So I, 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 disliked her less than I've, uh, well, I'll just say it. I, I still don't see Linda Tripp's point, <laughs> you know, um, just to, to, not to put a too fine a point on it. I like, I don't think that she had to do that. Uh, and I don't think that she was acting as uh, motherly as she thinks she was or she convinced herself that she did. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But, like, someone like that I have strong feelings about. But you go out of your way to, you know, hear them out and hear these people that were, you know, reviled or, you know, uh, infamous in the media for a certain amount of time. I mean, John Goodman played her. How, that's That's got a sting. <laughs> <laughs> um, who yeah. I love John. I love John Goodman. But still, I mean, that's, you know. I think, I think they're like...
1: I think there's a I think there's like an expectation maybe you see this a lot with like magazine journalism where people read some readers for some reason expect you to like at the end of like a quote you know you quote someone saying something or you describe them doing something and people will expect you to be like and I think that's bad
0: yeah right I
1: I disapprove of that by the way just so you know Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you, you don't need to put that
0: in like no you don't.
1: And it's, like, people people often, like, will read a profile of someone who they think of as a villain, and they'll read the profile, and they'll be like, I can't believe the New York Times, like, didn't call this person out on this, this, and this. And it's like, yo, you know about this, this, and this because you read it in the story. Like, and the person put those things in for a reason. Uh, The reporter put those things in for a reason, you know what I mean? And so, like, I think there's there's a way to be, like, even-handed but still a point of view, you know? Like, you're still making choices about what you're putting in front of people. And you're, you know, the, the job, I think, is not to be, like, to not have a point of view is to it's to it's to be unbiased in the sense of like not um not being untruthful, you know, like mm-hmm. uh in the service of of kind of helping one side or the other look better, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, going back to the, like, you know, I talked about John Stewart and David Letterman saying some pretty outrageous things. You know, in, in your slow burn, you had, of course, Bill Maher saying some pretty gross things about Mike Lewinsky and yeah. other people. that it was, it was just okay to say at the time. Um, what have you found going back to uh, the original audios that you've heard? Because you use a lot of primary source material, which has got to be fascinating to pour through, I'm sure. Definitely. Um,
1: yeah, big, big, big shout out to my team of of amazing producers who who've done like the the lion's share of of the of the archive digging i get to be the one who like hears it once they've like found all the good good stuff um and then you know try to incorporate it into a script but um it's it's uh you know one thing that was interesting about kind of moving from the 70s to the 90s between slow burn one and two is that with the with the with the 70s like all the tape all the archival tape is um just you can just like you can just like hear the 70s you know it's mm-hmm. just like, sounds like the 70s and with 90s it's like a little more it's like obviously more modern by 20 years uh and it's um it's like not as identifiably in the past um, and i think that's sort of that's sort of true here too like the year 2000 like i don't think i don't think it sounds like that different from the way things sound now um in terms of just like the texture of the recording, you know, um, and so you're trying to you're trying All to right. audio that I think that that invokes that sort of is is of the moment in other ways, like in more in more uh, I guess I would say like uh, like like s- substantive as opposed to um, as opposed to aesthetic, like you know they 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 like. Maybe they reference someone you know who has not who doesn't get referenced anymore. Maybe they reference someone very like 2000. Maybe they you know we, we had a we had one clip. I think we had to, had to cut it in the end, unfortunately. But like it was a it was a clip of the Macy's Day Parade on Thanksgiving 2000, um, which took place right as the recount was requesting. and uh, the Baja men were performing "Let the Dogs Out." You know, <laughs> and that's just like it's such a perfect clip because you're like remember like this 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 is this this could not have happened any time other than.
0: <laughs> well, at that yeah, that brings me to my next point is that I definitely, of course, I remembered, uh, you know, Watergate, not Watergate. I wasn't there for that, but uh, no, Whitewater and, uh, you know, the Malinsky affair or the Clinton affair is, you know, uh, in the parlance of our times. Um, but, you know, I definitely was politically aware when this whole fiasco happened as it were you know uh i was slightly too young to vote uh i didn't turn 18 until april of the next year so actually i didn't i just missed it but i was totally aware of it and it was enthralling um you were obviously alive then too how does it feel to go back through something that you were alive for i know we talked about this with the last you know the season of slow burn but like this is so real and you know Really just like only months before 9-11, which I definitely remember, of course, and everybody does, but.
1: Yeah, um, so I I don't remember being that invested in it while it was happening. I remember a conversation with like school, like this teacher at my school, like the day after being like, like, I just want to know who won or some like (laughs) some stupid thing like that. Um, And I can't remember being invested in it to the point where I was like. Like, I just like don't I, I don't remember being disappointed that gore lost I don't remember being like I just don't remember feeling anything about it um doesn't mean I didn't like but I just don't remember um, mm. but I will say that like and yeah I think I think nine eleven like definitely overshadows it obviously in people's people's memories um I will say that like uh you know there's there's a there's there is a sense of like there's always like dramatic irony when you're talking about the past right because you know how things are going to turn out well the people who are in the story don't um there's a little more of that here maybe than 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 there has been with the you know in the past the other two the other two shows we made um because it, like i think at the time in 2000 it felt a little bit like a low stakes election um i think people were just like not and and, and some people have told me i'm wrong about this i can't really tell but like my impression very non-scientific is that like People just weren't that invested in this election. Like, people didn't really <laughs> either of these guys. Like, yeah, no one was just, like, right. that, you know? No one, like, really thought it was particularly high stakes. Like, part of it was that, you know, they were coming off of, like, years and years of prosperity and peace. Like, there's a sense that just, like, no one could really fuck it up. And so, like, it doesn't really matter, maybe, who who gets elected. And then Nader, like, played into that with young people, like, te- you know, saying that they were, these guys were kind of the same. And, you know, their, their similarities are more important than their differences. Um, and so I think, like, I think both knowing that, you know, Bush's presidency went the way it did and the decisions were made that were made and simultaneously like knowing about Al Gore and kind of how much fire he turned out to have in his, in his belly for, 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 you know, global warming activism. It's hard not to wonder. It's hard not to feel like, wow, the stakes here were really high. Um, Right. You know what I mean? Like we, we, who knows, like, how, who knows how Al Gore handled 9-11, who knows, you know, Al Gore, as I, I gather, I don't, I'm not an expert on this, but I gather he was quite, quite, like, pro, you know, going to war, you know, in the name of intervention, or, or whatever, um, not my area of expertise, but, like, he may, you know, maybe he would have gone into rock, too, like, who knows, but, um, it's just, like, you realize in retrospect that, man, the stakes were really high, um, mm-hmm. and so that imbues, uh, the story with some gravity, just, like, going just like from 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 the jump you know right
0: uh it's been interesting too because i've been listening to this and then just the other night my wife and i watched vice and so that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition to see the (laughs) the dick cheney side of it um but yeah wow just it was it and it's like uh you know to get into the margins here uh there's so much to talk about that with this but like it's so few votes. It's insane. It's so so close, and it shouldn't even matter because, frankly, the electoral college is ridiculous, and you know, it will increasingly be as time goes on. I would just love for the Democrats to win the electoral college and lose the popular vote once, and just see what happens to everyone who defends the electoral college. By the way,
1: <laughs> we have this at the end of um, we have this at the end of episode one, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: going into the election day, like Gore people were like. Very worried that Gore would win, like, <laughs> lose the popular vote, and they were like, "What are we going to like? How are we going to defend against you know people saying that this is an illegitimate victory?" And like, I don't know. There's something so telling about that. Like that when the Republican, you know, when the Republican Party found itself in that situation, like there was there was no way like that anyone was going to score a point on them for winning the, pop, winning the electoral college and not the popular vote. Like, it wasn't going to happen. Like, and, and, but the Democrats, you know, they just like, they knew they would be vulnerable to, to those attacks. And I think they were, they were right. They would have been. Um, and mm-hmm. part of, I think part of me trying to work, work through this is this, this season is like trying to figure out sort of why that difference is there um, and trying to describe that difference and sort of capture examples of it. Um, you know, I think like, like, insofar as this season has, uh, you know, a lot of, Sort of like modern relevance, like it, it is a little bit about like the souls of these two parties and kind of what how they how they um operate and and sort of what they're about like what why they're like what the sort of logic is, I guess, in 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 that sort of governs like their their combat, you know, that makes oh, sense?
0: absolutely, yeah, like 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 Republicans play to win. And Democrats seem like they think they're there to show the Republicans a good example of how to behave, or something. Um, and who, who ends up winning, of course, uh, this this fiasco, uh, the Republicans do, and continue to uh, to this day. Really, it's it's really how they play. It, they, the same strategies have played out over and over again. You know, when you know when we, when they go low, we go high, and then we, <laughs> and then the Democrats lose inevitably because the Republicans are just their plan to win. They're 51 to 49 is a victory and sometimes 50, 50 with the tie in the Senate, as long as the vice president breaks the tie, it'll happen. You know, they just care about getting it across the goal line. And if it looks a little ugly in the end, it so be it wins a win, you know,
1: the Merrick Garland thing is probably like the most. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and what's interesting is like, I don't know, like you get why people are reluctant to, you know, to be, I don't know, it's, it's, I guess what, I guess, I guess what I've been sort of trying to figure out is like, why is one side so immune to charges of hypocrisy and so indifferent to them, while the other one seems like to be concerned about them and like to be governed and sort of be compelled by them, mm-hmm. like, by fears of being accused of hypocrisy, but also like is I think correct in that in its, in its assessment that in their assessment that they are more vulnerable to it to those charges than the Republican Party, right? right? And I just, I, that's sort of been like the, the thing I'm trying to crack is like, mm. why is that? Um, and was there, you know, I think, I think a lot of people who were involved in the recount, especially on the democratic side, obviously, because they lost, like they, they, they do a lot of looking back and wondering what they could have done differently. I um, think there's, there's obviously a lot of that um, in the, in the show, um, just in terms of like specific decisions that people made that maybe they wish they'd made differently now, but but i think at the at the very sort of foundation of it is a sort of question about like what's the difference between these two parties and 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 also like how should a party be you know should a should if should a if you believe in a party's uh platform and and you know the ideology that it supports like isn't the moral thing to try to win as you know as ruthlessly as possible um you know i think i don't think there's any any easy, easy answer there
0: oh for sure well, I mean you know it's it's a it's a hard choice because you know you've gotta maintain some kind of you know decorum somewhere somebody's got to hold the line, you know otherwise we'll just fall into tyranny but it's like why why is it it's always the ones that like are are like well, we're gonna restrain ourselves that they, they they just don't ever get, seem to catch a break in these situations you know it's always five four the other way somehow <laughs> That's
1: nice in class.
0: yeah, absolutely um. But yeah, gosh, so much to talk about. But the hanging chads, yeah, I remember that. That was crazy. Like I, and and it's funny because you talk about the butterfly ballot. Uh, that's one thing I wanted to get to, and that seems to be the most blatantly, okay, Gore should have definitely won this election regardless. Because a bunch of like old, frankly Jewish people are not voting for Pat Buchanan. I'm sorry, it's not happening. And he gets, and you said he gets three times as many. Votes there as any other county around it that didn't yeah, use these, yeah, of, of yeah, course. Yeah, and yeah. it's ridiculous, and and it's not even doesn't even fit. Like you can't even see where you're supposed to poke. I don't blame these people for getting it wrong. It it's like you sh- it shouldn't be that complicated, you know. Um. Yeah, but you know, on the other hand, like there was nothing anything they could do about it afterwards. Like true. I mean, there's no way to reasonably say who did and who didn't. You know.
1: And there's you know there were like there were people sort of throwing around ideas like oh maybe we can. You know, you could do a revote, but like because the constitution says that everyone has to vote on the same day. Like, oh, maybe we can maybe we can like have a judge apportion the votes like proportionally. It's like, no, that's never gonna happen. Like, no judge is gonna do that if it's deciding the presidential election. And so the, that's why the Gore team, like as as potent as the as the butterfly ballot was as an issue, kind of have to drop it as a legal issue because there was nothing, just nothing they could do. Um no. and uh but I think you're right that like it is the best example, or it's like, the it's the, it's the clearest indication, or it's one of the clearest indications, let's say, that more people went to the voting, went to the, went to the polls that day, intending to vote for Gore than Bush in Florida, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which is the line that, that, that Bush, you know, excuse me, that, that Gore people often repeat. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> You know, like they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't unfuck it up. It was just like it was, a, it was just like a, you know, that's sort of what, what's. I think what I, what I, we always try to find like an emotional core and everything and every, you know, sort of story we 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 include in the show. Like, I think the emotional core on that is that like some mistakes, man. Like, you just can't, you can't unmake them. So there's nothing you can do, and that's just like a fact of life, and it's. Scary, and um, you know, everyone's sort of used to like getting second chances, and I shouldn't say, but like I am, you know, and and, and the 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 possibility that like something could go wrong, and mm-hmm. it's not really your fault, but you can't like there's nothing you can do. It's just a very sort of sobering, you know, like it's a very sobering thing to confront, and that's what mm-hmm. a, a, what I drew from that butterfly Ballad story
0: right um now you you obviously going back to captain harris you've talked to at least some of uh, i assume you tried to talk to jeb bush did he did he respond
1: jeb bush uh yeah so we we definitely put out calls to 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 george bush and 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 al gore they both uh i can't remember if bush ever responded but of course people said no um man you know i don't i gotta tell you i don't remember i think we did we did we definitely did put a put a call into jeb bush but i think we just didn't hear back um it's funny, you know, with 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 podcasting, like especially on the schedule where we're going really fast, um, it's you end up sort of not talking to maybe as many people as you would if if you were writing individual pieces on all this stuff, you know, like. And so, like someone like Jeb, Jeb Bush, you'd think that would be like one of my top priorities. But you know, part of the reason part of the reason he wasn't is that we try to tell these stories through you know through through the voices of people who haven't necessarily been as famous as others, you know. So, well, sure. of course, we'll include Catherine Harris if we can. But, um, and we'll include a Supreme Court justice, you know, if we can, um, but but generally, like we we're more interested in you know the people who who are sort of who are anonymous or who are who are whose names just aren't as as well known um, so
0: Sure, well, and you begin the season with a familiar story, but I wasn't sure why you were telling it at first. And I was like, okay, all right, so this is like the Elian Gonzalez thing. And then, you know, I'm like, why am I listening to Elian? I, th- I actually looked at my phone. I was like, this is that fiasco podcast I meant to listen to, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not the Elian Gonzalez story that I accidentally clicked on somehow.
1: That's that's funny that you thought maybe it was the wrong podcast. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so, so Elian Gonzalez was um, a little boy whose mother had brought him to Florida, to the United States from Cuba. Um, she was in a, in a boat with, I think, 10 other people, something along those lines. Maybe it wasn't quite 10, but anyway, they, they capsized and, and everyone, um, I think everyone died except for Elian. Maybe there was, I can't remember if there was one other survivor. I think there was not. I should know that, but anyway. So, Elian El- El- survived. Um, he was clinging to an inner tube, and he got discovered by a couple guys who were out uh, in the Atlantic Ocean fishing that morning. Uh, and he became this, this this incredibly iconic sort of symbol of uh, well, I don't know. Symbol is probably the wrong word. But he was he was a symbol of something. I don't know what he was a symbol of, but basically, he became to he became very important to Cuban Americans in, Flo- in Florida, in, Mi- in, in, in Miami Dade specifically, um, because a lot of those you know most of those people had fled uh Cuba um when when Castro took over and, and they were you know extremely anti-communist they were extremely anti-Castro the notion that you know that this boy had made it you know made it across the water uh had barely survived that he was here like they felt like the United States owed it to him to keep him to let him stay here. Um, but uh you know there there were complications because the little boy's father back in Cuba was like, no, he's my son. And I didn't consent to him being sent over there in the first place. And I want him back. Um, And so it was this custody battle and it became this huge diplomatic crisis in between, you know, involving Castro and and the Clinton administration. And the Clinton administration was sort of like, look, we, we have to give him back to his father. Like we, he had, he had family in in, in Miami-Dade who were taking care of him. Um, but you know the, the, the position of the DOJ and at, at, uh, INS was the, we can't we don't have the discretion to keep this boy here like he has to go back to his father uh, in Cuba, um, and so that infuriated the Cuban American community in, in Miami, which is a very powerful constituency. Like not only are there a lot of them, um, but they also are extremely, You know, many of them. You know, there's a, there's a very like powerful Cuban American elite in Miami Day De- in Miami Dade County, um, and uh, they were very, very, very like furious with the with the uh, Clinton administration, particularly after they, after the Clinton administration sent in you know armed uh, armed guys to, to 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 basically pull him out of his house and and, and put him on a you know in a van. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people remember that iconic photograph of him uh, in the closet while there's a gun in his face. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so so the Clinton administration. Was sort of being held responsible for this by the by the Cuban Americans in in Miami and and Al Gore, who was running for president at the time, uh, caught the you know caught the caught the tough end of that of that deal because whereas Clinton himself was not running for re-election, Gore had to you know answer for for the Clinton administration's actions, and he knew that he needed to win Florida or that it would be really 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 helpful for him to win Florida, and he knew that the Cuban American community was you know key to getting that to getting the 25 electors, and so he was caught in this very uncomfortable position. Um, where he where he didn't quite know what to say, I think, about whether Elian should be allowed to stay or go.
0: Mm-hmm. Boy, meanwhile, George Bush just jumped out there, and he, he he had a position, right? He was like, "Yeah, I think the boy's father should come over if he wants to be an American or <laughs> something." Yeah, he, that he, was he, his he, position, right? <laughs>
1: he should, the boy's father should come 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 and take a whiff of freedom.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. But, but that's another thing about Gore is that, you know, kind of, I, 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 I sent this as a message to my friend, Jonathan, who's a a guest on the podcast often too. Uh, He reminds me, Gore reminds me a lot of Robert Mueller in, in, in demeanor and like just blind trust that the system will work if you just follow the rules. And, you know, like, like, it's just, they, they just, there's these boy scouts that think that if you just dot all the I's and cross all the T's, you can, you can win in the end and the system will work. And it's like the Republicans are like, we, we use the rule book for kindling and we tip the board over and that's how we win. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, uh, it's just, it's just interesting that, that, you know, uh, once again, it just seems like it's certain is a certain, like, and it's sad that that's, you know, a sucker's game, uh, but it seems to be. And that was that was his position on the uh, uh, military base that was going in the protected Everglades mm-hmm. uh, too. like he was not going to comment because it wasn't time. You know, my influence, blah, blah, blah. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. Right.
1: Had you had you heard about that issue before you heard?
0: You oh, heard? absolutely. It was new to me. News to me. Good, good, good. Yeah, it was new to me, too. But it seems incredible. Those little things, you know, it doesn't seem important to me because I don't live there or I, that's not my issue. But yeah. those people turned out to be incredibly important. <laughs>
1: totally. when, you're, when you're dealing with a margin in the small, I mean, you were bringing that up earlier. Like, I feel like the fact that the margin was so, so, so insanely narrow um, makes it so that, like, you can look back and say any, you know, any number of these little decisions that were made, whether it's on Elyon or this Air Force Base. Or any number of other things like that was that was the key. Like if only they'd done the op- only they they'd gone the other way on that, they could have won. They could have had you know this many more votes, and they would have won the election. Uh, and it's almost like a, I, I feel like it's almost like a cheat code, um, in a way, is, is, is in terms of just like crafting narrative because it like it allows you to kind of in, imbue every little thing with, with the stakes, right? Because every little thing could have been the the thing that clinched it, right? So sure. And so we sort of we sort of landed land there uh, at the end of the first episode, you know, like we told you these two stories about the, about the Air Force base about Elyon. But like and we do think that they are unique and that they go together in a special way and they you know, tell us all these things about who Gore was as a candidate. But uh, at the end of the day, like if you were trying to if you were trying to find if you were trying to find the answer to the question, like why was Florida so close and why did Bush you know, squeak it out by, by this many votes? You could point to so many different things um, about the campaign, but then also about the recount and how it was handled on both sides. So it's it's a it's a it's a convenient sort of uh, it's like a it's like a it's like just turbocharges your narrative when you can when everything feels so high stakes, you know?
0: Right. And I remember um, uh, I was a I was in a band in high school several, uh, and uh, I. <laughs> I used to love Rage Against the Machine and we played a lot of Rage Against the Machine songs and there was a Rage Against the Machine video. Uh single a little Rage Against the Machine because
1: of this. Because we, we were looking at uh, Rage yeah. performance outside of uh, the DNC. Sure, like, and absolutely. On a, a little kick for a while.
0: Definitely. Um, but they had a video. I, I can't remember if it was Testify. No, it wasn't Testify. It was it was something off that Battle of Los Angeles album. Anyhow, uh, it was like it was comparing all the ways that Bush and Gore were the same. And you were talking about it being a low stakes election. That was it, kind of it, the yeah, Ralph I Nader.
1: I wish I knew that. I
0: yeah. Some... Uh, it's gosh, it's whatever the first single. I'm gonna look it up. But anyway, it's uh guerrilla gr- it. you know, g- Gorilla Radio, I think. Gorilla it was. Radio.
1: Okay, that was the first single. That's it. Right. Yeah, there you go. I remember listening but... to these songs on the radio.
0: For sure. But in the video, they like have this like uh, montage back and forth of them from the debates. Um, And it's like they're saying the same thing. and It's like there's no difference between these two. And that was the kind of the uh, Ralph Nader line, uh, too. And you interviewed Ralph Nader. And that was that was super interesting. Uh, But like, what do you think of their complicity, first of all, because my wife has a funny line about the Green Party. Is that uh, sh- she says that they care more about the environment than any other party, but they've really done more to wreck the environment than anybody because they've helped more Republicans get elected than than really anybody. So it's like they're really self-defeating in that way. But they but they're like, oh, there's no difference between the these two. Like, what are the what's the, the same things at the debates? Same answers.
1: Go <laughs> uh, It looks like the grill radio video is not on YouTube. I wonder why.
0: Hmm, that's strange. we gonna
1: have to figure this out later. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I, 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 I get Nader's argument, which is that, like... He's, I mean, his argument, in a way, is sort of connected to the thing I was just saying, where he's like, look, you lost this election for, like, a gazillion different reasons. Like, why are you focusing on me as, like, the guy who tipped it? Whereas, like, all these other things, you know, all these other decisions that you made uh, were, you know, were just as, just as consequential. Um, I think there's something to that. I think at the end of the day, like it's hard. It's really hard not to not to look at what happened and say, "Wow, Nader definitely pulled you know some number of hundreds or even thousands of votes from Gore over this fucking Homestead Air Force Base thing." And if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't like made that a part of his pitch and you know hammered Gore on it in Florida, like right before the election, uh, maybe maybe would have been different. And yeah, I think I, I, I guess like one thing that's surprising about the Nader interview is I mean he, he he he's he's defiant, you know, like and I guess I, I I would have expected that maybe just a little bit more um just like a combination of defiance and also like just like melancholy over it, you know, as opposed to just purely defiance. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, because surely he would have preferred come on if, if you had to ask him for real so. i'm sure he would say that gore would probably have been preferable to bush yeah. in his estimation like like just from his point of view his worldview, what he wants to have happen like so. he, yes they're very similar yes i see their point in that way but it's like come on when it gets down to it you got to make a choice you know you got to you got to say look is this one better and people always say you're just the lesser of two evils but sometimes there is a big difference and i remember uh You know, I remember people my parents age saying, thank goodness that Al Gore didn't win when 9-11 happened. They're like, in retrospect, it's like, what do you think was going to happen? Like, what's what's the worst case scenario? Gosh, we might not attack the wrong country. Like we might, you know, like like, what's what's your what's your (laughs) what do you think was going to happen exactly? And and you mentioned global warming. It's fascinating to think uh, what would have happened, you know, different. Cause it seems so mundane at the time. And I, I do remember thinking that Gore and Bush were the same and like Gore, like Boer and Gush or whatever. And mm-hmm. you know, there was a Saturday night live thing about, you know, the lockbox, uh, Al Gore, he never really lived that down. I think that he, he, that might've cost him a few votes, frankly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of the thing that the thing that was part of, which was like this idea that he was boring and stiff and like, you wouldn't want to hang out with him or have a beer with him or he was like unlikable. I think that was very, very powerful. And, um, it's, uh, One thing that this, you know, and one of the reasons we wanted to dedicate an entire episode of the campaign is they're just starting with the recount right away. I think that that campaign is super relevant to, you know, at least the Democratic primary that we're in the middle of right now, because I think likability is really, you know, something people are thinking about. There's a, you know, there's a debate about whether that's a, you know, a a, a dimension along which women are are, are, uh, uh, judged more harshly than men or in different or along a different, you know, different standards than men. Um, but like for sure, you know, likability was, was huge in this election. So you kind of wonder like, what's the lesson here? Is the lesson here that we need to not, we need to not run people who are, you know, unlikable, but good on on the policies or whatever, or is the lesson that, um, you know, that that uh, there's a way to, I don't, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's maybe the answer is, like, likability is really important. You can't just, like, ignore it and pretend it doesn't matter. Um, so, I think that's one way in which it, you know, sort of resonates with today.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you feel about, uh, you know, because you, you ended uh, Slow Burn with kind of almost a teaser, I felt like, for Fiasco, because you end it with a reference to, what, you, what I don't remember what you said exactly at the end, but it was something about the and then the 2000 election happened, and it's like, oh, okay, I see. <laughs> um, yeah. It reminded me of the end of a Marvel movie, you know, when they have that extra scene after I, the I, I, credits, I, I, and then there's somebody else from the other universe that shows up, and it's like, oh, this is how it's connected to the larger. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it wasn't like that. We had a bunch of different. We had a bunch of different ideas we were talking about for Slow Burn Three when 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 we were still there, and uh, you know, definitely, I think we we definitely like had brought up. Which we were, I think my 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 manager was the one who suggested it to me for the first time. Um we definitely talked about it. We talked about like, you know, twenty other possibilities. And it it, it was just like a a natural endpoint to that story because you know, that it was this it's the story of how the next president was chosen and how Clinton's presidency came to an end. Um but yeah, I know we didn't we we didn't know. We didn't know we were gonna do it at that point.
0: hmm Uh interesting that like, not to keep going back to slow burn, but like to think back about uh, impeachment uh, then and being impeachment now, and people are always like, oh, shouldn't even consider impeachment now because look what happened back then. Clinton just got stronger. But really, Clinton was like paralyzed after that, and partially I think this, this really hurt Gore is that Clinton didn't campaign for him because the advantage of being a vice president, as I understand it, is that you get the power of the presidency behind you at that time and you push them across the finish line you know what i mean but like he had separated himself from bill clinton uh, a lot and didn't clinton not campaign for him until after the nomination or something i don't uh, like it were you know even beyond that i don't know so um
1: i don't uh i'll totally remember whether there was a, i think at the very end like they they kind of tried to use clinton as a last-ditch effort, but mm-hmm. for sure, like during most of the campaign, um, Gore wanted to distance himself from Clinton from Clinton because I think he was worried that uh, you know the sort of stink of impeachment and the scand- the sex scandal, would, would, would sort of cling to him. Um, you know, part of the reason why he chose Lieberman was that Lieberman had been an outspoken critic of, of Clinton on moral grounds. You know, he'd given that big speech that we that we played in Slovern too. Um, on the Senate floor, uh, condemning Clinton, but not calling for impeachment, but condemning him in very, very strong terms. I think Gore, you know, chose Lieberman in part because um, it, w- it was a way of showing that, like, I'm I'm a different kind of man. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think you'll find that being like a really big sore point between like the Clinton world and Gore world. Like, I think there's a lot of debate about whether Gore made a mistake in in uh, in shutting Clinton out and. Trying to sort of be his own man. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it, that's a hard that's a hard uh, sort of question to answer. Like whether whether it would have been mm-hmm. different, but, but for sure it was uh, a, a calculated decision.
0: Definitely. Um, well, hey, I I know you're a busy guy and you've got a lot to do. You've still got some some work to do, I'm sure. Uh, and so I thank you for for spending so much time. But uh, I did want to ask what music you've been listening to lately.
1: What music I'm listening to. Um, okay, um, let's see. I think I told you this last time we talked. I just have like these playlists on my Apple Music that I just start seasonally. So like, I have um, a playlist just like all the stuff that I that I like want to hear over and over again. It's um, mm-hmm. on here. Um, Roddy Rich is a rapper. Um, I forget where he's from, but um, he uh, he has a bunch of amazing songs. Um, every season is really beautiful. Uh, he has a new song called out the mud which is really beautiful Uh, i listen to a lot of little baby um, an atlanta rapper uh, who has a lot of amazing songs Um, what else Uh, i've actually been listening to more guitar music than i have in the past for some reason I think when I I'm, whenever, I'm whenever I'm like in the, in, in the weeds of making the podcast, like when I'm like scripting and revising and recording and all that stuff, like as opposed to just doing like research and reporting, um, when I'm really locked into it, I, t- I tend to just not listen to other podcasts at all. I listen to more music. Um, and so I've been listening to, to music, particularly like music that I listen to as a much younger person, uh, like for some reason I've dug out. Like the whole study, uh, first two albums, of the whole study that I loved as a, as a college student. Um, Nirvana has been back in my rotation for whatever reason. Smashing Pumpkins have been back in my rotation. Mm. Um, Juicebox, the guy who, the rapper I wrote my book about, uh, the next mm-hmm. level, has um, a new album coming out uh, that I've been listening to. Uh, he has a single called Coinstar Song, which is really awesome uh, that everyone should listen to.
0: <laughs> how is Juicebox these days
1: i like think he's great um, he's got this new record uh, seems like he's thriving cool
0: awesome man well keep up the good work i'm super interested to see what you do next uh, can you tell us anything about what you're gonna do after this season of fiasco what's yeah, next
1: yeah we, we, we're, we're we're doing a round contra as our next thing
0: yes Yep. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, just just so you know, I've had Freeway, Ricky Ross, and uh, Mark Levin, the director of Freeway, cracking the system on the show. Right. So, <laughs> so well, I'm I'm super into the subject already. <laughs> so.
1: We'll do this again when, when song out.
0: Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited. So cool. Uh, well, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time, and uh, I'll definitely be listening to whatever you do next. So.
1: Cool. Thanks so much, Rob. It's really good to talk to you again.
0: Yeah. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye.